title this evening is Living for the Glory of God. You know, we last few days have again have taught us we never know what a day may bring. We may wake up in the morning and we'll never know what is going to happen before the day closes. Our lives can and at times seem to be almost in a constant turmoil of change. And when we look back, we see wild fluctuations in our circumstances. But as we look at the life of Joseph, as we're going to do again this evening, we have to say, could there have ever been a life so full of change as that of Joseph? From the time he was at home with Isaac and his brothers, to being sold into slavery into Egypt, from a slave to a leader in Potiphar's house, from there to prison, to become the second in command only to Pharaoh. Our lives have their ups and downs, but Joseph must at some time felt that he was riding a roller coaster, like a yo-yo. At the summons of Pharaoh, Joseph in prison is brought, he's made presentable, given a new set of clothes, cleaned up, and he comes before the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh gives Joseph the reason why he has been summoned, why he has been released. And we read that in verse 15 of chapter 41. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream and there's no one who can interpret it, but I've heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. And as we reflected on the last occasion that we looked at this passage together, Joseph makes it very clear where he stands right from the very start and that the answer that he will give to Pharaoh is not his answer, but the answer that God has for the king of Egypt. Verse 16, so Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. And so Pharaoh then relates these two dreams to Joseph. And he confesses that he had shared them with the wise men, the magicians of Egypt, those who claimed to know these things. And there wasn't anyone anywhere who could understand them or interpret them. And Joseph makes it clear that the two dreams meant, and where they're coming from, was that it was God who would show what they meant. So in verse 25, we read, Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. These two dreams, they had one and the same message. In both cases, the seven cows and the seven heads of corn represented seven years. It was to be seven years of plenty, represented by the healthy cows and the heads of grain. And they would be followed by seven years of famine. And the famine would be so severe that the years of plenty would be forgotten. It's a story which is so familiar. We learn it as a children, don't we? It is something that uh, we're very familiar with. The fact that these two similar dreams indicated the certainty of what was to happen. Verse 32, the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. So now not only does Joseph bring the interpretation of the two dreams, under the direction of his God, he advises Pharaoh on the action to take. 
And Pharaoh and the whole court are so impressed by this man, Joseph. They recognize there was something in him, something uh, more than they've seen in their own people. He was a man of ability, a man of integrity. And more than that, Pharaoh, who we've seen uh, was considered, who considered himself to be a divine figure, recognized the supremacy of Joseph's God. Verse 38, Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and as wise as you. What a remarkable turnaround for this man, Joseph. He had immediately declared his uh, obedience to the God of heaven. And Pharaoh recognized that and recognized that it was the God of heaven who had given to Joseph this interpretation and had given to Pharaoh a man of ability. And so Pharaoh appoints Joseph as his prime minister, second only to the king himself. Uh, We read, such was Joseph's new status that no one could move a hand or foot without his consent. So the seven years of plenty begin, and the storehouses were filled. Verse 49, Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. And again, we see Joseph vindicated before Pharaoh in that God's promise comes to fulfillment that the seven years of plenty give way to famine. The rains failed not only in East Africa, but also in the Middle East. And due to Joseph's wise policy, there would be ample grain to feed all, not only to sell to the Egyptians, but to the people of the neighbouring countries. And that would be so important in the story which follows. In verse 57 we read, So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain, because the famine was severe in all lands. So the scene is set. We're prepared for the next stage in this story. Joseph was 30 years old when he came before Pharaoh, still a relatively young man in many ways. But he was a man full of years of experience, the experience uh, of being sold into slavery, the experience of serving Potiphar, the experience of being in prison, all this had prepared him for the great task before him. And as we look at the life of Joseph, we find that in all this change, as he went from the pit to a palace, as we saw last time, there was one thing constant about Joseph, And that was his awareness of God and the fact that God was first. God had the priority in all that he did. And that's really our theme this evening as we look at this part of the life of Joseph. For Joseph, God was a constant reality. He was ever present. He was always there. And Joseph was constantly aware that his father in heaven was with him. Joseph, from his early years, was a man of God. He was a man who knew God. He was a man who trusted God. He was a man who prayed to God. 
I was reading a story of a tribe of Indians in South America. And one of their customs was that when a boy reached the age of 13, he would spend a night in the jungle on his own. It was a kind of rite of passage, proving he was a man. And for one particular young lad of 13, the fateful night came when he was to spend the night alone in the jungle. Every sound he heard made him jump. Every animal noise made him tremble. Many times he thought about giving up and going back to the safety of the village, but somehow he gained enough strength to stay and gradually through the thick tangle of trees the first rays of light shone. And as the light grew stronger, he began to make out shapes around him. And he was astonished to see there was his father, spear by his side. All night his father had been keeping guard, watching over his son to make sure no harm befell him. The boy thought, if only I had known my father was there, I wouldn't have been frightened at all. But you see, Joseph knew his father was there. In the same way that we, if we're in Christ, know that our Father in heaven is beside us at all times, knowing the unseen presence of God. But perhaps because of that, Joseph always gave priority to God in his life, put him first in all the circumstances. You see, we've seen that, haven't we? We think of God first at home. It was in his life at home with his father and brothers that we first see Joseph as a true believer in God. And that was one of the reasons why he received so much rebuke from his brothers. He stood out for truth and righteousness. We read that they hated him. And so much so they sought to kill him. And you know the story uh, that God restrained the evil intent of the ten brothers but yet they eventually sold him into slavery, which would take him to Egypt. These extraordinary happenings in the life of Joseph are, as we have seen, not just chance happenings. They are part of God's plan for his people. In the adverse circumstances that came upon Joseph, it did not deter him from putting God first in his life. I'm sure we must have all been tempted if we've been in that position. If uh, following God means that I'm going to be sold off into slavery, I'd want to do something else. But that wasn't Joseph. Joseph put God first in the face of temptation. For we find in the next stage of Joseph's great adventure, we find him in Potiphar's house. And all is well, of course, until Potiphar's wife attempted to seduce him. But again, for Joseph, it was putting God first that he was able to resist the immorality proposed, even though he was falsely accused, even though he would end up in prison. The ever-present reality of God in his life dictated his actions. Do you remember what he said when he faced that temptation, when he says to Potiphar's wife, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He put God first in the face of persecution. Here he is now in prison. He's there for some time, falsely accused. Still he seeks to help his fellow prisoners. He interprets their dreams, even if the interpretation of one was so unpalatable. 
But yet, even when the chief butler forgot his promise to Joseph, that didn't deter him. And he continued to put God first in his life. And now in this sort of passage that we're reading now, Joseph puts God first in a time of prosperity. When he was appointed second in command to Joseph, raised in what would be literally a few moments from the degradation of a prison cell to the right hand of the most powerful king in all the world at that time. And there will be those who would bow down to him. He had Pharaoh's ring and robe and a chariot. And Joseph didn't let that sudden promotion and all those accolades and wealth that he received afforded go to his head. Before Pharaoh, he was able to boldly declare God's truth in a hostile culture. And in the passage we're looking at this evening, we find Joseph in prosperity, gone from prisoner to the second highest in the land. But even here, God was first. God would have the priority. His desire was to live for the glory of God. And perhaps we see this in the way he names his children. In verses 51 and 52, we read this, Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh. For God has made me forget all my toil in all my father's house. And the name of the second is called Ephraim. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. You see Joseph's comments, his testimony here. God has made me. God has caused me. Always God. Always God first, whether in prison or in prosperity. I suppose it's sometimes easy to think that it is easier to put God first when we are in times of prosperity when we are feeling well and fit, when we don't have the various illnesses and troubles and difficulties. But yet, you know, in reality, we find it harder perhaps to live faithfully for God in prosperity than we do in adversity. And we can so easily learn to lean on our prosperity, trust our possessions, rely on our bank balance or our pension or our salaries that's coming in. They often become the basis of our security or even our relationships with our families and friends. Prosperity can be a very intoxicating thing. One little slip and we have lost our bearings and have stumbled into muddled priorities. For Joseph, prosperity and wealth did not mean a change of priorities. God always had been and always would be the priority in his life, would always be first in his life. So then secondly this evening, what does it mean to put God first? What does it mean to give God priority? You see, Joseph's life must be more than an interesting history of how God worked in the life of this godly man. It has to be an example and an encouragement to us. We are called to see that God is the great constant in our lives and that we are to give him the priority in how we respond in all our circumstances. What does it mean to put God first? You know, let me say what it doesn't mean. It's not implying here 
uh, that we never think of anything else other than God, that we only ever pray, we only have, the book we ever read is the Bible, the only thing we ever do is go to church. Joseph did many other things than that, yet God was always the priority in all that he did. One commentator defines it like this, to give God the priority in every circumstance of life means we understand that God has a plan that is much larger than us, that our circumstances are designed to further that plan, and we are therefore to seek to use them for his honour and his glory. We think of our dear brother Andrew. Why was it so late in his life that before God called him, that was part of God's plan? It was for the glory of God that it happened this way. We're to think that our circumstances occur not as accidents of fate. Putting God first is to realise that the events of life don't come about by chance. I know we've covered this before, but it's, it's so important that we understand and recognise this. It's all part of God's plan. God had a plan for Joseph that was far bigger than Joseph. You can think, well, you can't get much bigger than being second in command to Pharaoh. But God's plan was far greater than that, far greater than Joseph had ever uh, even thought or imagined. And this plan was to bring God's chosen people, Israel, back to a living faith, to protect them during the coming famine. But not only that, to cause them to grow into a great nation and ultimately prepare them for the promised land. God designed that the people of Israel would spend some 400 years in Egypt, long after Joseph had died. We need to see our lives as Joseph was, a small part, a small cog, as it were, in part of God's plan. One of the things that my wife and I have felt so much since coming to the church here in Penzance is being part of the history of God. We look back over the life of this church. I was reading the other day about the, the Battle of Trafalgar, and if I've got my memory right, it was 1805. And while Nelson is out there in Trafalgar, Boson Smith is planting a church here in Penzance. And we're part of that same church. And God willing, that will go on tomorrow and next year and all the years to come until God uh, in Christ returns. We're to think not just of the few moments that we are here, that we are building for the future. We're preparing for whatever God might have in store for this place, this church, in the days to come. Our circumstances flow from that plan of God. You see, all that happened to Joseph was to bring about a plan that he wasn't even aware of. Joseph was the one God had sent ahead of the family to prepare the way for them to come to Egypt. Being sold as a slave was God's way of getting Joseph into Egypt. Being unjustly thrown into prison was God's way of bringing him in contact with Pharaoh's chief butler, who would be instrumental in opening the door for Joseph to appear before Pharaoh. Every circumstance, every detail furthered the plan 
even if Joseph was unaware where he was heading. And we might be tempted to say, well, couldn't there have been an easier way for Joseph to get to Egypt? Did he really need to go through slavery? Did he really need to suffer false accusation, imprisonment, rejection before he was elevated to prime minister of Egypt? But you see, to ask that question is to limit God in his purposes. For not only was God bringing Joseph to the attention of Pharaoh, he was also preparing Joseph for the role that he had for him. So we look for those things in our circumstances. All our circumstances are different. We might say, well, did God really have to do it this way? Did God really have to save somebody at the later years of their life? Did God have to bring about suffering? Did God have to do it this way? But that is to limit God in his plan. For God's desire is to work out his purposes. And part of that is in the training and preparation of his people. We see that throughout the scriptures, that God prepares his people. Abraham had to wait till he was 100 years of age uh, before his son was born. We think of Paul being converted, the man Saul, but yet he goes off training for 14 years before we next hear him. Why do these happen? Because God is preparing his people. And sometimes perhaps you and I, at all our different stages in our lives, might want to say, well, why is God bringing these troubles, these problems now? And I would suggest to you that it is because God is preparing us for whatever role he wants to use us in. And that might be being a testimony to others. Joseph started out as a shepherd in Canaan that involved great suffering from the hands of his family. And it ended up in Pharaoh's house in great prosperity. You know, if you, you compare the life of Moses, it's the opposite. He started out in great prosperity, didn't he? He was in the house of Pharaoh and ended up as a shepherd of a nation on the borders of Canaan. One went from suffering to prosperity, the other from prosperity to suffering. Why were the circumstances of Joseph and Moses so different? It was that God had designed these circumstances of life for both to further his plan, his works of sovereignty. And our circumstances call for a response. That's very important. Our circumstances call for a response. Joseph and Moses both excelled because they accepted the plan of God and the circumstances that flowed from that plan. They dedicated themselves to the business of using their circumstances for the honour and the glory of God. We've seen that in the life of Joseph, haven't we? As he's gone through from being a slave to being in prison, in each case he did all that he could for the honour and the glory of God. So for us, what does it mean to use our circumstances for the glory of God? Well, I suggest this. It means living in them in such a way that those around us will know there is a God and will think well of him. Sometimes we are more concerned with dictating to God 
what our circumstances should be than to use them for his glory. We have no right to demand that God treats us like Joseph in taking us from suffering to prosperity. He may choose to treat us like Moses, to take us where we are and bring us into a difficult situation. So we must ask ourselves a question. Are we giving God priority in our lives? Is he first in all things? Is this the underlying principle? We think of all that our Saviour has done for us. Is he the very centre of our lives? God has a plan that is greater than any individual. And do we use those circumstances for his praise? Or are we rebelling against them? Sometimes we feel that we really would like to have done something else with our lives gone somewhere else, been involved more, maybe gone out on the mission field, uh, maybe uh, have had a more prosperous life and all the rest. But we need to see that God has put us in the various places at various times to fulfil his purposes. And in so doing, we must seek to bring him the honour and glory. So as we draw to a conclusion this evening, let's ask the question, How can we put God first in our lives? What does it actually mean? How can we get to a place where we give God priority in every circumstance? To put put God first in all that we do. But I would suggest the very first thing is there has to be a recognition and understanding, a settling in our minds that God is worthy of putting first in all our circumstances. And he is worthy. And he is worthy because he is the creator. We're not some chance of biology. We are here by determined act of God. Individually. Not just as a company of God's people, but each of us individually are where we are because God has made us for him and by him. And then secondly, he's not only the creator, he is the sustainer of our lives everything we call good comes from him James sums it all up when he says every good gift and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning and our God is worthy of our worship and putting him first and giving him the priority for he is always unchangeable Even the best of men change and alter, but our God never changes. Even though our circumstances change, Jesus Christ, I'm sure we can all finish uh, the quote, is the same yesterday, today and forever. We need to see the reality of that as we work out our lives. Fourthly, he calls us to love him. It's a command. It's a command to love God and put him first. Matthew 22, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great command. And he gives us eternal life. He offers us the highest good we can enjoy, eternal life in heaven. Forgiveness and reconciliation through Jesus Christ. 
And we can never give God the priority in all of our lives that we must do so unless we are convinced in our hearts that he is worthy, that he is worthy of all those things and it is our duty to do so. But you know, it's one thing to know these things. It's another to do them, isn't it? And one of the commentators suggested it's this, one step at a time. So often the task seems impossible. Perhaps okay on a Sunday, but the difficulty is the rest of the week as we get up on a Monday morning and we've got a rebellious class at school to face or our job is even more difficult this week or we've got struggles because of failing health and all the rest. The key, one step at a time, not so much concentrating on putting God first in every circumstance, but to concentrate on giving him the priority in this circumstance, this day, this moment. The essence of putting God first in every situation means walking with the Lord in close fellowship each day. Talk to him in prayer. Do we read his word? We must confess when we are incapable of giving him priority in the circumstances of the day that is before us to ask him to give us wisdom and guidance. Circumstances arise in our lives and sometimes they're good, sometimes they're difficult. And when difficult situations begin to unfold, we must learn to ask Perhaps not first why God has sent them our way, but rather how can we use them to bring honour to his name? As one commentator writes, we'd like to walk down a church aisle and have some kind of special experience that would enable us to give God priority in the rest of our lives, but it doesn't come that way, it doesn't work that way. Winning the war to give God priority in every part of our lives is a daily thing. Each day we must buckle on the armour of God and fight the battle anew. There are things in our lives that we would like to be changed. But you know, we quote it so often, but there's such reality in that the story of Paul and his thorn in the flesh. And it should be a guiding principle for us in times of adversity. We read this concerning this thing, says Paul, I pleaded with the Lord three times that he might, it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Joseph is a shining example. He put God first in all that he did, whether it was in adversity or whether it was in prosperity. In a way, it didn't seem to matter to him. You don't feel that... Uh, when he's in adversity, he's depressed and down and all the rest, or when he's in prosperity uh, that he's uh, singing on the rooftops, he goes about his work in the same way. It is because he loved God in whatever situation he found himself. And it's in there we learn the secret of contentment. It's giving God priority 
in every circumstance. And life begins with Jesus. Life begins with Jesus. Joseph's message to all who find the arrows of difficulties and trials showering upon them is clear. Look to God's promises. Draw strength from them. God can, through those promises, enable the Christian to endure the arrows of affliction that fly their way. All this, of course, assumes that the promises of God are utterly and completely reliable. Do we believe that? Are they? Well, of course they are. And this is where Joseph's lives help us, for it shows us that we can lean upon those promises of God, just as Joseph did, but it also confirms to us the reliability of those promises, as Joseph was cared and he worked out his life before God. Joseph's life foreshadowed, typified, the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll look at that in more detail on another occasion. But Joseph's life is a model for living on the basis of the word of God and as a proof of the reliability of that word. To put God first is to start with Jesus, to search for him in every page of scripture, to let him to be the focal point of our praise, to let him to be the centre of our prayer, let him to be the object of our obedience and pray that God would so enable us that we might live every moment of every day to his glory and to his honour. May the Lord grant us the strength we need to do that and may he help us each day as we go on, whatever tomorrow we may face, which could be so outside of anything we've even thought, But we know this, that God has his plan. He's working out his purposes. We are part of that. And in everything, let the glory and honour be his for Christ's sake. Amen.